0: there's two words in the English language that are very difficult for us to hear and also to experience. And I think those two words are delay and disappointment. I think just saying the words delay or disappointment causes all of us each to feel a little bit unsettled. Nobody likes to hear that something's delayed and nobody likes to be disappointed. Those are two tough things to deal with. And it should be no surprise that in the Bible, delay and disappointment can often be a really good thing, that often in the Bible, which is so counterintuitive to the way we think a delay or a disappointment can turn out to be one of the best gifts that you could actually receive. And we're going to look at Joseph today, Joseph, the young man whose dad gave him the coat of many colors, to look how God used delay and disappointment in his life for the better. Some of you, if you were here last week or you joined in online last week, you know I talked about King Saul, the first king of Israel. King Saul had a lot in common with Joseph that they started out both pretty good. They had a good beginning. They had a good, good starting point. And Joseph ended really well. Joseph was a great leader. People loved Joseph. And he made a great impact for the kingdom of God. And Saul, he was the exact opposite he turned out to be a disaster of a leader. And I think sometimes we wonder, well, what happened? Why was Saul, why did he have such a destructive path? And Joseph end up so well. And I think the main difference is character. Joseph had character and Saul lacked character. So much that Saul lacked character that you saw on the day of his coronation, the day he was going to be made king, nobody could find him. They're looking for Saul. They couldn't find him. And I talked about this last week. So they cried out to God and said, where is Saul? And God said, he's hiding among the stuff. In other words, Saul was nervous. He was anxious about being crowned king. So he ran and he hid among things that would give him security and hope and confidence. He didn't run to God. He ran to the stuff. And Joseph was the exact opposite. Joseph went through a tough season of character development. Joseph went through a lot of waiting, went through a lot of disappointment. You didn't see that happen in the life of King Saul. He didn't go through a bunch of character testing, but Joseph did, and it turned out really, really well for him. See, in our Western culture, sometimes we say we would prefer the route of Saul. We don't want to go through testing. We don't want to go through disappointments. Kind of our American mentality is if you work really hard and you have a dream or a passion, you can be very successful. You know, working hard is important. Having a dream is important. But when Jesus in John 15, he redefines success. He said success is when you abide in your relationship with Jesus Christ. He said success is your relationship with God. Desires and dreams, those are all very important But in the end, our goal is to become like Christ. So the question that we always ask ourselves is, how do I become more like Christ? So that's why we are in this series on spiritual formation where we're talking about what do we do? What is our part to become more like Christ? Just to remind you, a working definition of spiritual formation is that it is the process of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of other people. That's what spiritual formation is all about, becoming like Christ, to give God glory, and to help other people. So the series is all about what is our part in this process, and so today we're going to be talking some about silence and solitude, kind of the practice of being silent before God, going on, spending time in solitude with God where you just are there alone with God and I think sometimes in our culture silence and solitude are a little bit of a scary thing to talk about so I want to talk about that today but before I get to silence and solitude I want to go back to Joseph I want to talk about Joseph in Genesis chapter 34 this young man I'm going to talk about Joseph from Genesis 34 to or 37 all the way to the end of genesis so there's like about 13 or so chapters so i'm not going to read the entire chapter just kind of give a summary of what's gone on in joseph's life and then pull out some key texts that i want us to look at that help us see the humility that joseph developed in his life and i like talking about joseph because i think joseph is one of those characters in the bible that all of us can relate to I think a lot of us have had Joseph experiences in our life where we've displayed some real immaturity or some impulsiveness in our life. But I think we also identify with Joseph because we know what it's like to have to wait. We know what it's like to experience a long delay. Or we know what it's like to experience a big disappointment. So I think when we talk about Joseph, we can quickly say, yeah, I know what that feels like. Yeah, I know what that experience is like. See, at one point in his life, in Genesis 40, verse 15, Joseph said this about his life. He said, I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. Joseph was talking about his life, and the word that he used to describe his life is, I was stolen. Kind of gives that imagery of, I feel like I got robbed out of some things in my life. He was talking about his relationship with the Hebrews. Feels like I got robbed by some things in my family. I feel like some things didn't work out for me that I never intended to go this way. I think we're like, yeah, I relate to that. I know what it's like to feel like something didn't work out at all for me. That's kind of disappointment. And that's what Joseph is talking about. And I think a lot of us have to, situations like Joseph where we might even be feeling a lot of disappointment or discouragement right now. Or we might be feeling like, wait a minute, it seems like everything is so delayed. And that's why I love the story of Joseph because it gives us a really good perspective. Some of you might know that Joseph was the 11th son of a man named Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons, and Joseph is number 11. And Joseph found himself being the most favored of all his dad's kids which was a nice thing for Joseph on one hand, but it didn't work out on the other hand because it made his brothers very jealous of Joseph. So his brothers didn't like Joseph because Joseph's dad liked Joseph so much that he gave him a coat of many colors. That was just a significant sign of that he had a lot of favor that his brothers didn't have. Now to make matters worse, Joseph has a dream one night from God, and in the dream, God shows him that his brothers someday will bow down to him. Well, Joseph got all excited about that dream, so he told his brothers, which was not a good idea because it took his brothers from not liking him very much, from not being jealous of him, to wanting to kill him. And it didn't help that Joseph had a second dream that he told his brothers about too. And so his brothers plotted against him and thought, we'll just kill him. Not very nice brothers. Well, then they decided, well, killing him was going to be a little rough, so they said, we'll just sell him as a slave. So they sold Joseph as a slave. So you look at the few, uh, few, those few situations that happened to Joseph and you wonder how did he resist the temptation to become really bitter? How did he not become a story of discouragement? How did he not become the next Saul that kind of ended as a disaster? Because when you look at the life of Joseph, he had every reason to complain or to be bitter. I mean, his life started out well. He had a good family. His dad liked him. He had all success going for him. And then he gets a couple dreams from God. He talks about his dreams. And the next thing you know, his brothers sell him off as a slave. He's now a slave in Egypt, but Joseph, he's a good hard worker. He works really hard, gets promoted. He gets a good position while he's a slave. And while he's a slave, He's working very diligent for his boss, and the next thing you know it, his boss's wife makes some advances at him. Joseph, being the good guy of integrity, turns her down and says, no, I don't want to do that. And so she turns around and accuses him of rape, and he gets thrown in jail for something he didn't do. It doesn't seem like Joseph has a whole lot of favor on his life. In fact, it seems like he has no favor at all. Now he's at the point of he's been accused of a crime he did not do. Not only is he in jail, but he has to deal with the reputation of somebody who did that crime. And then there comes a little glimmer of hope for Joseph while he's in jail. He's in jail and probably he's figuring, he's probably thought to himself, I'll never, ever get out of here. There's no chance I'll ever get out of here. And then one morning, he notices that two of his fellow jailmates are pretty sad and upset and he asks him, what's going on? And they tell him that they had a dream last night. And Joseph quickly says to him, dreams are from God. I can tell you what your dream meant. And Joseph tells the two men what their dreams are. He interprets them very accurately. Now, I don't think the one man, the baker, I don't think he appreciate the interpretation because Joseph said to him, in three days, you're going to be killed. And that did happen. But also, Joseph said, in three days to the cupbearer, he said, in three days, you'll be released from this jail. And sure enough, three days later, they're going to release that cupbearer from jail. And so Joseph said to that cupbearer on the way out, as Susie referred to, he said, hey, when you get out of here, tell Pharaoh what I did. Tell Pharaoh about, that I could interpret your dream for him. Tell Pharaoh that I'm in here. I think Joseph probably thought, yeah, I'll probably be getting out this afternoon when somebody hears of what I've done. No, two full years later before he gets out of jail. Up to this point, Joseph had spent more of his life in jail and as a slave than he did being a free man. It's easy to look at the life of Joseph and say, that was a waste of time. That was a waste of time being stuck as a slave or being stuck stuck in prison. Not only is it a waste of time, but it looks like a big disappointment. However, the exactest true the time that joseph spent in jail and the time that he spent as a slave was time well spent and that's according to joseph joseph himself in genesis 50 verse 20 said that was a good experience for me he said that was a good thing that happened to me His actual words are he was talking to his brothers who started the downfall of his life, who sold him to slavery. He looked at his brothers and he said, you meant everything for evil. You thought you'd destroy me. You thought you'd get rid of me. But God meant it all for good. In other words, God turned even the worst situation for my benefit. And then Joseph says, to bring about that many should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph quickly recognized that everything bad happened to him worked out in the end because it benefited a lot of other people. Those are pretty powerful words for a man to say as he reflects back on his life. He doesn't reflect back with bitterness or anger or resentment or trying to figure out how to get back at his brother's. Instead, he looks at the delay in his life, he looks at the disappointment, and he says, that was time well spent. I want to be like Joseph. I want to be able to say that. To look back on my life and say, that was worth it. That was time well spent. See, there's a couple verses that you have to look at in the book of Genesis that are going to help you understand why Joseph had the ability to look back and say that was time well spent. In Genesis 39, verse 2, it says, the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. The Lord was with Joseph. And then a few verses later, in verse 21, it says, but the Lord was with Joseph in the prison and showed him to be faithful. See, those two verses tell you the reason that Joseph was so successful is because God was with him. God was with him in the disappointment. He was with him in the delay. And I think sometimes we can look at that and say, well, that was nice for Joseph, but what about me? Because sometimes when we are in disappointment, we're in delay, we kind of think God forgot about us. Psalm 34, verse 18, which I think is one of the Best promises in the Bible, if you can rate them. It says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. See, if you feel like Joseph and you feel disappointed or you feel like you're in a delay, the Bible promises is that God is close to you. When you're feeling brokenhearted, God is with you. Just like Joseph, God is with you we have the same opportunity to be like Joseph because God is with us just like he was with Joseph. But why does God have to use disappointments and delays? Why can't he just figure out another way to do it? Now, I think a lot of times by God's grace, he teaches us things that we never go through disappointment or delay. Sometimes God just miraculously does does stuff in our life. But sometimes he leads us through disappointment and delay. And I think in Joseph's story, you see two really good reasons. The first reason is that God uses disappointment to bring us to the place where our only hope is in him. See, disappointments are often one of the best catalysts to bring change into our life. Disappointments have this way of stripping us, of putting our hope or our security or confidence and some other person, place, or thing. God has a way of giving us enough disappointment so it leads us to realizing that he is the only one that can satisfy our needs. See, so often it's easy to be like Saul. When you get disappointed or you get discouraged, you run to the stuff. And God's trying to get us to stop running to the stuff, but running to him. I think so often you see a pattern with people that get disappointed or get discouraged. They run from job to job to job or they run from friendship to relationship to partner over and over again because they're looking for someone or something or some person or some place to bring them some satisfaction and they never find it so they keep jumping from thing to thing to thing or person to person to person. And the entire time God is saying, would you come to me? Because I will give you the satisfaction that you're looking for. I will give you the joy and the peace and the relationship that you're ultimately looking for. It's okay to be disappointed. We should be disappointed. Because no person, place, or thing was ever designed to give us joy and peace and happiness. That only comes from the source. And that's Jesus Christ. And so often we have to go through a season of big disappointments so we learn that only Jesus can satisfy our needs. So we get to the place where we stop running around like Saul, looking for something to take care of us that was never designed to take care of us. The second reason that we see God often uses disappointment and delay is to develop our character. See, earlier I said that spiritual formation is a process of being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ for the glory of God and for the sake of others. I think sometimes we forget that part about for the sake of other people. That it's easy to look in our life and say, but look at what I'm going through. Look how hard this is. Look how difficult it is. Yes, it is. But sometimes it's for the sake and the benefit of somebody else. I love Psalm 105, Psalm 105. It gives a nice summary of, of the, the Israelites' life. And when you get to uh, verse 16 through 22, it talks about Joseph. And it says, God called for a famine on the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. In Psalm 105, God reminds us that before the people even knew about a famine, God knew about it. God knew a famine was coming to the land of Canaan. So what does God do in advance? He raises up people to help other people get through a hard season in their life. And that person was going to be Joseph. In verse 17, it says, Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of him, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. God had this whole thing figured out in advance. God knew that there was a famine coming to Canaan. He knew the people would starve in Canaan. He knew that they had to have somebody provide for them. So he raised up a man, Joseph. And then in verse 18, it says, they bruised Joseph's feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. Yeah, that's pretty tough. Until, verse 19, we have to remember, until, the time came to fulfill his dreams. The Lord tested Joseph's character. Joseph's character was tested until the time came to fulfill his needs. I need you. The Catering's here, so that's why i making her leave. <laughs> You're kicked out. You fell asleep. Now, the catering's here. We don't want to miss that. So I love verse 19. Until the time came to fulfill the dreams that God gave to Joseph, the Lord tested his character. Everything that happened in Joseph's life happened for the benefit of some other people. What is going on in your life right now that's disappointing or discouraging? Or maybe it feels like a big delay that maybe it's to benefit some other people. I love that perspective. Maybe there's a dream that you have, a desire that you have, and you're just like, God, why can't you just answer my prayer? Why is it taking so long? Maybe the same answer as verse 19 is for you. Until it was time to answer your prayer, the Lord continued to test your character. Testing character is not always that much fun. But what I love about Joseph is that he never got cynical and he never got bitter and he never got resentful. I think it's beautiful when you look at Joseph's story as he matured in his relationship with God and as he matured as his time in, in prison and as a slave, he started to look to God to fill, fulfill every single one of his needs. And how do we know that? We know that because he doesn't blame God for the stupid things other people did to him. He doesn't transfer his bitterness that he has for other people onto God and he doesn't become cynical and he doesn't become self-centered and he doesn't become selfish. There's two little sections of scripture in Genesis that I want to talk about that you see how well Joseph handled things. In Genesis 39, verse 6-9, let me read this. So Potiphar, that was Joseph's boss, gave Joseph complete administrative responsibilities over everything he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was a very handsome man and well-built young man. And Potiphar's wife soon began to look lustfully at him. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you. Because you are his wife, how could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. I think it's a beautiful thing to see that even Joseph, as he's going through disappointment, he's going through delay, he resists temptation. I think oftentimes when people get through a lot of season of disappointment, it's easy to to become compromisers to say, God owes me something. Life's been hard for me. I can bend the rules a little bit. Definitely, I get to get away with this because look what I'm going through. Joseph didn't do that. Joseph's own words said it would be a great sin against God. One of the commentaries I read even suggested said, you know what? He probably could have got away with it if he would have took her up on her offer. Because in that Egyptian culture, it was very common for men and women to have other relationships on the side. So there's a good, a good chance he could have easily got away with it, and nobody would even notice, or nobody would have even care if they found out. But he did the right thing, and he ended up in jail for it. Another part of Joseph where you see his character is when he interpreted the dreams for the two, uh, for the baker and the cupbearer. It says, while they were in prison, Pharaoh's cupbearer and baker each had a dream one night, and each dream had its own meeting. When Joseph saw them the next morning, he noticed that they both looked upset. Why do you look so upset today, he asked them. And they replied, we both had dreams last night, but no one can tell us what they mean. Interpreting dreams is God's business, Joseph replied. Go ahead and tell me your dreams. See, even in this little section of scripture, we see the integrity of Joseph. You totally would have expected Joseph to not even recognize the needs of other people because he's been through such a hard situation. But Joseph gets up in the morning and he notices that these two men are dealing with something. And he says to him, what's going on? How can I help you? That's the man who's relying on God during a difficult season of his life. And you totally would have expected Joseph when the two men said to him, oh, I have a dream, that Joseph would have said, blow that off dreams are nothing but trouble. Look at me, I had two dreams from God and I end up in jail. I totally would have expected Joseph to say that. But not Joseph, he said dreams are from God and God gives interpretations to dream, let me help you. Joseph didn't get cynical. Somewhere inside of Joseph, he knew that those dreams that he had, someday it was gonna happen. And so in the meantime, he's gonna help two other people find their dreams to be fulfilled. It it's interesting that right away when those men said to Joseph, I had a dream that Joseph right away said, God can interpret dreams, tell me your dream. Joseph wasn't being cocky or arrogant. Joseph just knew his relationship with God so well that he knew that God would give him the interpretation to the dream. I think it's a beautiful story to see how well Joseph did with deep disappointment, with considerable delays. That his character is tested so when he gets out of jail and he's made a leader in the Egyptian government, he is incredibly successful. And he goes on and he saves thousands and thousands of people from a famine. But Joseph had to abide in his relationship with God in order to get him through that season. I kept looking, saying, how did Joseph make it through? Kept looking, says, is there some key in these scriptures that will tell me what did Joseph do on a daily basis so he didn't become cynical? I couldn't find something. But yet, as I thought about it, Joseph was in jail. He spent a lot of time in silence and solitude. He spent a lot of time alone. And in those times of silence and solitude, Joseph could have said, I'll be bitter. I'll be angry and upset and I'll just sit here and moan and complain. But he didn't do that. Joseph spent his time in silence and solitude with God, letting God minister to him, letting God encourage him, letting God give him peace that passes understanding, letting God give him hope. What I want to do in the next couple of weeks is talk about how do you actually spend time in silence and solitude with God? How do you do that? In our busy culture, we like to do and go and read and study and to say, I'm just going to sit with God. How do we do that? We'll talk about more of that next week and the following week. But as I close our message today, I want to take communion together. In a minute, I'll have Ron um, pass the elements, and we still have them in the little portable cups right now until we switch. And in Jesus, when he was on earth, he would often call his disciples to a time of silence and solitude. Jesus himself was known to spend a great amount of time in silence and solitude. And in Mark 6, is a beautiful scripture, Mark 6, 31, Jesus says to his disciples, come with me by yourself to a quiet place and get some rest. I think that's kind of a good summary of what communion is all about. Come with me and get some rest. See, in the Bible, rest isn't always about just taking a nap or sleeping. To get some rest means come find some peace. Come find some joy. Find your strength to be renewed. And that's Jesus' invitation for his disciples. And that's his invitation for all of us that are gathered here today. And even if you're at home, you can participate in communion with us. It's his invitation to come as individuals in a body together to find rest. To find rest in his presence, but to find rest knowing that God takes care of every single one of our needs. To find rest in the fact that God says, Are you feeling brokenhearted? Are you feeling discouraged? I'm close to you. Communion is a reminder that Jesus went to the cross to die on the cross So God could be close to us. That we don't have to run to the stuff. We don't have to run to things that give us a false sense of comfort. But through communion, through the death and resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ, we can go to God right now and say, I need comfort. I need hope. I need strength. So as we come together today to celebrate communion... Come with your needs. Come and make that an offering to God today. Say, I come before you and I give you this need I have or this burden I have or this sorrow that I have or this prayer request that I have. And I'm going to give it to you trusting that you're going to give me exactly what I need. Maybe it's a little delayed, but God's going to give you exactly what you need for this moment right now. I'm excited to have this time with you. I'm excited to have lunch with you afterwards. To go through this next month together as we look at humility. And just look at humility as God's going to take care of every single one of our needs. So Ron, if you would, would you just pass the communion elements? I think some of you got the communion elements on your way in. And if you'd like to participate today, just kind of put your hand up, make sure Ron sees that and you and just so you remind you these are a little tricky here if you've not used one of these before there's a little cellophane on top you can pull that back and then you have access to that little wafer give you a little second to do that these are convenient but i look forward to the old-fashioned way (laughs) but And real bread, too. So, everyone have one? Pull that little cellophane away and just put that little wafer in your hand. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says, On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat this together, remembering what Christ has done for us. Then you can peel that second little layer away and get to a little grape juice. And the scripture goes on to say that in the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. Let's do this in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And there should be a little place you can put your cup in the pew in front of you. God, we thank you for today and for this opportunity to come find our rest in you. God, I pray for each person listening to me, Lord, that they would experience supernatural rest and peace. And Lord, lead us as we close in this final song with Libby.